Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. Throw the rascals out. That was the sentiment back in the early 1990s when uh, then Governor John Engler and several others led a campaign to limit the number of years that politicians in Michigan could hold office. The idea was people were just around too long. They became like furniture in the legislature. There all the time. And voters felt, in many ways, like they couldn't hold people accountable after a certain amount of time, that they became so powerful that there was no way to have somebody else serve in those positions. And voters responded. A 1994 referendum amended our Constitution to say that no one can be governor, attorney general, or secretary of state for more than two terms. And in the legislature, no one can serve more than three terms in the House of Representatives or two in the Senate. So that fixed all of the problems, right? Well, not so much. The restrictions on time that people can serve in Lansing has brought us a lot of things that voters probably didn't anticipate or even want when they voted for term limits. Chief among the concerns is the legislature in particular, where three terms in the House or two terms in the Senate are barely enough time to learn what's what, who's who, how issues work, or how legislation is put together and moved to the point where it becomes law. It is fair to say that Lansing is an amateur act in many ways right now. There are people who lead the chambers in the legislature who haven't been around more than two or four years. And, of course, the short tenure for elected officials means unelected influences in Lansing, lobbyists and other interests, have become essentially the political elders there. They're the folks with the knowledge and the history and, therefore, much of the power. In November, we're going to have a chance to vote, to amend all of these restrictions, to loosen the, the, the way that we limit people's service in Lansing. It's one of three proposals that will be on the ballot in November. Proposal one expands that time that legislatures, legislators can serve in office. It also ensures that lawmakers will disclose their personal financial ties. And this proposal is all more interesting considering it's been advocated for by lawmakers themselves and not the general public. There are also two other proposals that we'll be talking about, uh, one that expands voting again here in the state of Michigan, and of course, the abortion rights uh, referendum that will now appear on the November ballot. Here on Detroit Today, we're going to talk about all of these things in the coming weeks, take a look at them, have lots of folks on to talk about them from different perspectives, and hopefully prepare you, our listeners, to go into the ballot box in November and make informed choices. But we want to start with the terms 
that uh, we will be voting on with regard to term limits in the legislature. There are a lot of questions about this proposal. How will it change our politics? How will enhanced transparency alter the behavior of our politicians? And what are the consequences of extending term limits for state officials? To talk about this, we've got two people who are advocating for this proposal. Jason Cable Rowe is the principal for Rowe Strategic, a campaign and communication strategy consultancy firm. Jason, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, also with us is Josh Pugh. He's the senior director of public affairs for the public relations firm Truscott Rossman. Josh, Josh, welcome to Detroit Today. Jason, I'm going to start with you. Uh, let's talk about this proposal. What's included in it? How will it make our government more transparent? And how will we amend term limits for the folks in the legislature? Well, you obviously touched on term limits, but that's not the only thing that Prop 1 includes. It also would require state elected officials, those same elected officials that you mentioned as it relates to the, the 1990s term limits law, uh, file personal financial disclosures. We're one of only two states in the country that do not require our state elected officials to uh, show us where they earn their money. And I think that's a, a long needed uh, level of transparency. But as it relates to term limits, as you mentioned right now, Legislators can serve up to 14 years in the legislature, six years in the House, eight years in the Senate. What Prop 1 would do would reduce that to 12 years, but they could serve those 12 years in any combination in either chamber. So you could run for the House and serve 12 years in the House, six terms, or you could run for the Senate and serve 12 years, which would be three terms. So I think it creates a little more continuity within those chambers and I think would uh, prevent some of the elected office hopping that we tend to see uh, where someone comes in and you know, by the, the end of their second term in the House, they're trying to figure out the angle to get to the Senate and extend their careers. And I think we could <coughs> excuse me, get them to focus more on serving their constituents and, and doing the job of policymakers rather than being politicians climbing up the next rung on the political ladder. Yeah. So so I said in the open that, uh, you know, voters, uh, voters are the ones who created the, the term limits. I said it was in 1994. It was actually in 92. My memory is uh, getting bad as I get uh, older around here, <laughs> just like everybody else. You and me both. <laughs> uh, but but I, I remember that time really well. And I remember the anger that voters had about the really long tenures of specific legislators, Dominic Jacobetti uh, is a word that uh, a name that that I think really stands out that that uh, kind, of, kind of was a lightning rod for, the, for, for this issue. Uh, there were, of course, he was not alone. There were several others as well. But but talk about what you think is different, I guess, now than it was then. I mean, voters wanted this very badly. Uh, why will they want to to amend it this way in your in your opinion? Well, as you mentioned, Dominic Jacobetti was the poster child of the term <laughs> limits uh, initiative in 1992. Uh, he served 21 terms over 40 years in the legislature, and he was chair of the Appropriations Committee. And the Appropriations Committee is who determines how our tax money is spent. And as you will remember, Stephen. Uh, Metro Detroit in particular was getting shortchanged because Dominic Jacobetti, who was uh, represented the Upper Peninsula, mm -hmm. 
uh, was steering disproportionate amounts of money to the Upper Peninsula, which has a much lower population than the urban areas of Detroit, Flint, Grand Rapids, Lansing. And that was a real frustration. And I think was one of the driving policy arguments is, you know, we need to have some changeover. So one powerful politician can't uh, control so much of uh, the public's purse. I would say what we see today is obviously people staying for a much shorter period of time. But I also think we tend to see people at the beginning of their careers, not at their end of their careers, where they have maybe more experience in life, in business, in activism, whatever it might be, and bring that wisdom to the legislature to make good policy decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another thing I think we tend to see is legislators um, voting on things that might not be good policy today or might feel like good policy or politics today, but down the road could be problems. And but they're not going to be around to have to deal with those problems. And so this short term itis of doing what's good for me politically today, while maybe strapping the state down the road, I think also can emerge. Yeah, Uh, we do have uh, Josh Pugh with us. He's the senior director of public affairs for Truscott uh, Rossman, uh, Josh, it's it's great to have you here. I want to get your take as well on this idea for amending term limits, not getting rid of them, but making it uh, easier for uh, people who are elected to the legislature to stay long enough to learn where where the bathrooms are even uh, before they have to think about running for something else or going home uh, and, and pairing that with these additional transparency measures. Uh, there's something strategic about that. I think that's uh, pretty clever. Um, but but tell me, tell me why why you think this is a good idea. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. And I think uh, in 1992, uh, you know, voters were obviously coming from a very real and legitimate place with some of the the dynamics that you and Jason were talking about. But I, I think they gave us a half loaf in terms of fixing the problem. They they identified the problem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but the solution was maybe a little wanting. And so I think this this piece of public financial disclosure, uh, where we've got just, just two states, just Michigan and Idaho, are the only two states that don't require this de minimis level of disclosure of conflicts of interest. And so we've, we've heard this talked about for as long as we've been talking about term limits probably longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've even in recent years, as, as some lawmakers have proposed financial disclosure, we've seen a little bit of, uh, of a recusal on some issues. But that's totally voluntary. And we're taking their word for it. And, and so it, for, for every recusal vote, of which there have been a handful over the past years, the idea that, they're, that, that, that this is just completely self-policed, uh, is, is is laughable. Yeah. And so I, I think that this, this idea that you're going to fix the problems in Lansing just by tweaking the, the number of years that folks can serve, that's, that's an important part of this. And that's, that was that was critical to fixing some of the problems that Lansing <laughs> had in the 90s. But it's not the only way to fix the problems with Lansing in the 21st century. I don't, I don't think there are a whole lot of people that think that state government is working really well for everybody. Uh, and this is a really significant piece of that. Yeah. Josh, you've been around uh, politics and government in Michigan for, for some time and, and, of course, have done a lot of work with people in the legislature. Um, I, I want to have you give our listeners a real sense of what 
what things are like now in Lansing, uh, now that we are deep into the, the, the term limits era, in other words, uh, past the point where there were people uh, from before uh, who, who were still who were still in, in the legislature and in Lansing. Um, and and what, what it was like before. I mean, uh, talk about some of the frustrations that voters likely have. Uh, that that are really attributable to the fact that people aren't around very long and can't develop uh, expertise on on subject matter or on legislative process. Yeah, I mean, you you saw it yesterday, Stephen. I the, the legislature has been uh, out of session completely on summer vacation since July first, and we have right now a seven billion dollar state surplus. Mm-hmm. And there has been, in this campaign season, as people are going to be voting in, I think, eight days, uh, there's been no shortage of rhetoric around what could be done with that $7 billion and what should be done with that on on both sides of the aisle and from all corners. And then the legislature comes to town yesterday. They pass a non-binding resolution about some viral video that came out of the Department of Education, and they gavel out and they go home. And it's just it 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 gives people rightly or wrongly the sense that there is just not a lot of seriousness around our state capital. And when you look at the state capital, <laughs> and when you look at the state budget, which is now upwards of seventy six billion dollars, uh, it demands a level of seriousness and of serious people um, that I think we'd like to see uh, and is wanting right now. And that, that should bring with it, again, um, some basic guidelines of transparency and conflicts of interest that anybody in any position of public trust does have to, have to meet, right? If you, if you want to go work at uh, any state department, um, you've got to meet those minimum standards. So why shouldn't these politicians have to meet minimum standards of ethics and of professionalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Rowe, I wonder what you make of the enthusiasm in Lansing for this proposal. Now, on one side of it, of course, this will make it easier for people to stay a little longer and, and again, be able to to develop some of that uh, expertise and knowledge that that's important to being a good legislator, uh, but on the other hand, they're going to have to be a lot more upfront about what they're doing. Uh, uh, talk about from the legislative perspective why this is uh, why this seems pretty popular. Well, I think it's demonstrated by the fact that the uh, super majorities of both the Republican and Democratic caucuses voted to put this on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I think recognizing that. Uh, that citizens demand this level of transparency. And I think also recognizing that the, the 30-year-old term limits law, after seeing it in, in application for 30 years, you know, it's, I think, a tweak that makes sense. I think when you look at the broad coalition of supporters that we have, it covers the ideological spectrum. I'm a Republican. Josh is a Democrat. We've been endorsed by um, uh, you know, all the major business groups in the state, all the major labor unions, uh, the League of Women Voters has endorsed uh, just this week, uh, the UAW endorsed, uh, AFL-CIO endorsed, the Michigan Chamber, the Small Business Association. It's one of those rare issues in which you've got everyone across the partisan spectrum uh, holding hands and saying, yes, this is something that we need. And I think it's, you know, a recognition that we can improve government. I think you, you, you both touched on it. There's some complexities to some of the is- issues that 
legislators have to deal with, whether it's healthcare policy or insurance reform, that you know, you're not necessarily going to grasp these issues in the first few years when you have so many different issues that you've got to deal with. And you know, over time, uh, policymakers develop expertise in certain policy areas. And when you're kind of kicked out after six years, uh, it, you know, just as you're probably getting that expertise, I think it disadvantages uh, taxpayers and residents. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to raise a little money here at WDET. And then when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Josh Pugh and Jason Rowe about Proposal 1 on the ballot in November of 2022, just a few weeks away, really, uh, this idea of amending Michigan's constitutional term limits uh, to make it a little easier for people to stay just a little longer Uh, in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, and also require much more transparency of those who are in office. We want to hear from you, the listeners, as well about these proposals. What do you make of Proposal 1? Do you want to have more financial transparency from lawmakers? Do you think there are too many things we just don't know about what they're up to, what they're doing, how they are raising and spending money? Uh, Do you think we should extend the amount of time that people can serve in the House and in the Senate? Are you frustrated with the outcome of the really, really popular term limits referendum way back in 1992? Lots of unintended consequences, I think, have unfolded over that time. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guests today are Josh Pugh, who's Senior Director of Public Affairs for Truscott Rossman, which is a Lansing-based public relations firm. Also, uh, Jason Cable Rowe, who is a principal for Rowe Strategic, a campaign and communication strategy consultancy firm. We're talking about Proposal 1 on the November ballot, which uh, concerns term limits, uh, the term limits that Michigan's voters put into the Constitution way back in 1992, limiting uh, the number of years that uh, people can serve in the legislature, also limiting the number of years people can serve as governor or attorney general or secretary of state. Uh, Proposal 1 would focus on the legislature, extending some of the time that people can spend in Lansing, uh, getting to know how to do their jobs, getting to know each other, uh, getting to build relationships that, that are important to getting legislation done. It also, though, will require more financial disclosure uh, of those people who run and are elected uh, to the legislature. Uh, What do you think of that proposal? Are you planning to vote for Proposal 1? Did you vote for the term limits proposal way back in 1992? Uh, Tell us if you've changed your mind uh, since then. Do you think that that was a mistake 
to to limit the number of years that people can spend in Lansing as dramatically as we did. Um, uh, also give us a sense of what you think of legislative transparency should uh, those who are elected to represent us be more upfront about uh, how they raise and spend uh, money. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work into the conversation uh, that way. Uh, I, I want to start here in this segment. Michael on Twitter says, might be tangential, but uh, is there anything that restricts elected officials in Michigan from being recruited to work for companies as lobbyists after they're in the legislature? If not, does this happen often? Uh, Josh Pugh, I know you know the answer to this. Uh, this is another issue that people have raised quite a bit. Uh, the revolving door uh, in Michigan politics. Uh, talk about Talk about that issue and whether this proposal might in some way reach into that issue as well and and, uh, maybe soften some of uh, the dynamic there. Yeah, it it does happen. Um, There is no restriction on something like that. Um, I think uh, a cooling off period is something that would not be touched by this issue because we are focused on what the lawmakers are doing um, when, when they're, they're there, in right. office. <laughs> <laughs> so we're taking one step at a time here, Stephen, um, to to get them to file an annual public financial disclosure that would give them a give us a look uh, into how they're making their money when they're in office. Um, but we're also fundamentally uh, changing the number of years they can serve in in one house and and so if if they want to uh take a little bit more time in in just the house that that would slow the revolving door um and slow which which is a phrase that we use to refer to exactly that dynamic um it is now look there's there's always going to be situations uh where where companies and certain lawmakers we just had uh, Jim Lilly, a, a fairly powerful member of the legislature, mm-hmm. um, who re- resigned in the middle of his term to go directly to Spartan stores and work as a lobbyist. And so that's at a at a certain point, um, you know, you're 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 not going to be able to 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 change too much that people do outside of office. But we're hopeful um, that by taking this major step uh, in the way of increasing. Uh, the the amount of transparency and the, the amount of disclosure, um, and also just giving having a, a slightly more common sense approach to our term limits regime mm-hmm. um, that that this will be a better system when they're in office, yeah. and that that will be less attractive. Yeah, uh, uh, Jason Rowe, I wonder if you can talk about I guess the flip side of that. I mean, the the, the opponents of this proposal to the extent that they've, um, you know, the extent that there is much opposition to it. Um, you know, they talk about encouraging career politicians and people digging in and staying too long. Some of the things I talked about in the open, like people becoming furniture and uh, in the chambers. Uh, now, of course, th- th- this is just an amendment to the term limits. It's not an elimination. And so we absolutely won't go back to the situation we had before, but how do you answer that that criticism? I've also heard some people say that they feel like this encourages corruption. That the longer people are there, the more beholden they can become 
to interests outside of the legislature to, to, to lobbyists. Uh, what, what, what's your response to that? Well, I think we need to underscore we're reducing the total amount of time that uh, people get to spend as legislators from 14 years to 12 years. To 12, right. Uh, of, the, of the current state Senate, three quarters of them served in the House before the Senate. So I would say in practice right now, we see people staying uh, the maximum 14 years uh, far more often than they are not. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you see people coming in at the beginning of their careers, not at the end of their careers. I think most of us would like people that have spent a few decades uh, you know, living on this earth, working, raising a family, paying taxes, owning a home, uh, and then maybe towards the end of their career going and serving. Those people are not looking to become lobbyists after their time. They are looking to serve their communities. And I think if you look what the average age uh, of the legislature was before term limits were implemented and what it is today, I'd be shocked if it isn't 15 or 20 years lower. Um, you, you see people that are often in their late 20s uh, running for the legislature with not a, a ton of experience. And guess what? When they get termed out in their 30s, they're going to be out looking for jobs in government affairs in one capacity or another. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the current system is actually encouraging the kind of behavior that the opponent of Prop 1, and I say opponent because that's about all there is, yeah, one, yeah. Um, you know, is, is talking about. The reality is, you know, just looking at the current composition, whether it's age experience or number of years served before jumping over to the Senate, um, I, I think that this is a fix to the current system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, appreciate Michael the the comment on Twitter and the question. Let's go to John on the east side. John, what's on your mind today? So, I, follow me here. <laughs> <laughs> so, it seems like all legislation has little loopholes and such, and it seems like the the capitalistic types uh, they they find their their loopholes real quick. And I know the government has hired, uh, you know, like convicted hackers to vet their computer systems to make sure that they're, they're working fine. Has anybody thought about, you know, having somebody vet legislation by maybe hiring some uh, rogue, uh, you know, Republican types that, uh, that seem to make lemonade out of all the lemons they get? <laughs> Because, it, you know, you look at all the legislation that it just within a couple of years, it seems like it, it just doesn't it doesn't uh, suit everybody, you know. Hmm. So, John, can you can you think of a specific example of something that that makes you feel that way? Something that happened? Well, it, 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 you take a look at anything and, and the Republican Party seems to be able to to uh, gain on on any legislation hmm. it, it just you, you look at the headley amendment for property taxes mm -hmm. and, or you know and all the problems that that created and it's still in effect today and it and it affects real estate in yeah you know, no it's a broad it, ways it's, but it, it's hurt us in the last couple of years for sure i mean as we've tried to recover from from the Great Recession. Uh, John, I, I really appreciate the call and the perspective. Uh, Josh P., I'll give you a chance at trying to, to answer John's yeah, question. Absolutely. absolutely. And the, the, we, we have a, a massive loophole on financial disclosure and transparency right now, which is that it doesn't exist. So 
year <laughs> after year after year, politicians of both parties get to propose this idea, uh, get to hold press conferences and put up social media posts, and then it goes nowhere. And that would keep happening mm-hmm. forever and ever and ever uh, under the current system. And because it's, it's incredibly in their interest to do this. And that's why we are taking this to the state constitution, uh, because it, it, the, the time for these politicians to be able to hide in the darkness uh, and hide their conflicts of interest and, and their potential uh, financial issues uh, from voters, it, it will, will come to an end very soon after this. And so that's, that's exactly why we went to the Constitution, um, because a future legislature can't simply undo this. Um, it's time to stop talking about this. Uh, and it's time to, to take action when it comes to this long overdue transparency that's a necessary piece of making our state government work better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, as always, appreciate the call and the question. Let's go to Frank in Livonia. Frank, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's so much about uh, term limits, but it's about campaign financing. You know, I mean, the lobbyists and stuff, I mean, you know, it, it takes a tremendous amount of money to, to run an election campaign. And, you know, and I just think there's a lot of politicians. I, you know, Debbie Dingell comes to mind and, uh, you know, and, and uh, John Dingell. I mean, you can we can go through a whole list of politicians in the U.S. Congress and that had served for a long time that, you know, if there's one person I'd want on my side would be Debbie Dingell. I don't always agree with her stands on things. But, uh, you know, and I and I don't think that it's the term limit in and of itself that's causing the problem. I really think it goes back to campaign finance. And and we should pay people to run for office. You know, we should pay for that, you know, social media, you know, expenses and and advertising. The voters should pay that, every one of us. And and Uh, you're saying as a... As a way to prevent other interests, like you know, lobbying, uh, you know, uh, lobbyists and 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 PACs and things from from paying for it is what you're saying, right, Frank? Yeah, correct. You know, you got to go after the big bucks, you know, and mm-hmm. and where where you know you're not going to get them from me, Stephen. <laughs> I might make, <laughs> you know. So yeah. where's it coming from? You know, the big, right. the people that have the money to put in the a people campaign. Who have it. And, sure, uh, Frank, yeah. I, I appreciate that point, and uh, thanks again for the call, Jason Rowe. Uh, the, the the questions about campaign finance in in the state are are, are pretty ripe as well. This is not um, this is not a an exclusively uh, campaign finance issue. I mean, the, the transparency part of it is, uh, but but talk about some of the other issues that we have in Michigan with regard to campaign finance that uh, that maybe maybe in the future we'll have uh, some some ballot questions to deal with. But but Frank's right that that this is one of the issues that makes. Uh, it makes our government uh, work in ways that uh, not everyone is happy about. Well, boy, we could, uh, Stephen, do a whole hour <laughs> just on this topic, believe me, and I have lots of opinions sure. on it. I, I will say, as someone who has been running campaigns for 30 years now, I've seen a significant change in how campaigns are financed. And, and quite frankly, I, I think that the candidates have become disenfranchised from controlling their own destiny when it comes to campaigns because of uh, reforms and Supreme Court decisions Mm -hmm. at the federal level in particular. But I I think you're seeing at the state level in many states um, a a culture that is reflective of what's happening on on the federal level. Uh, First, you have the McCain-Feingold law, which prevented 
the political parties from raising uh, corporate money, mm-hmm. uh, put limitations on the amount of money that they can raise. Uh, and then you had the Citizens United ruling, which then basically took off any limitations on independent expenditure spending. And so what ends up happening today is a candidate runs for office and there is so much money being spent on their behalf and on their opponent's behalf Mm -hmm. that they end up spending less in defining themselves and talking about their issues than the outside groups that are either opposing them or helping them. And that is in practice, partly because the limitations on these candidates is so low comparative to the amount of money that comes flowing in. I would say the one benefit of this is that a particular special interest group doesn't have much influence on an individual legislator because their spending tends to go to those outside groups. But that doesn't change the fact that the candidate has the the weakest voice in defining themselves in an election. And so I think, from my perspective, we would probably want to look at uh, increasing the amount that a candidate can accept yeah. so that these outside groups don't have such a strong voice in deciding who elects us, yeah. who we elect to represent us. I mean, that's such a that's such a nuanced problem, right? I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think if you're just a voter trying to make decisions about who to vote for or, or, or which policies to endorse, it's that's a that's a pretty high hurdle to get over to understand that um, that a piece of legislation that was intended to improve transparency and to improve uh, uh, you know the the fidelity that that elected officials have to the to the voters and and not to uh, corporations or, or 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 PACs it has in fact made it made it harder. To do that, I mean that's that that's a really complicated thing to think through. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know what I have seen, and and you know even before I was a practitioner, if you will, that often the reforms that we implement to try to improve the system end up make uh, it making worse. it worse. <laughs> um, so. Um, but, you know, you, you know, the Supreme Court has determined that, you know, money is speech, speech is money. Right. And, you know, I don't think we can undo Citizens United. But what do we do then to level the playing field so that uh, if you or I decided that we wanted to be candidates, that that we're not, you know, 20 percent of the noise in, in, in our district talking about what we care about um, and leaving it up to, you know, whether, like I say, whether they like us or they oppose us, mm-hmm. they're going to have a disproportionate uh, say in electing us. Yeah. Uh, Josh Pugh, one of the things that always occurs to me is that that there is room for states uh, individually to impose more restrictions um, in terms of disclosure and things like that. Um, with regard to campaign finance, and and we've had some struggles here in Michigan over over that as well. But this this does seem like a likely next uh, frontier, perhaps for for some of these arguments. Is is okay? So you amend term limits and require more transparency in the legislature. Now let's talk more broadly about how we how we uh, require people to raise money. Um, you know, to run for office and and how we require them to tell us more about about how they raise that money. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you got into this a little bit in your intro about the difference between someone being a professional lawmaker and being a professional politician. Mm-hmm. That those are really sort of different words. And these <laughs> folks are getting into office and spending their time on the phone asking for money. I think 
the as we think about campaign finance, though, the the uh, encouraging thing there, um, whether you're whether you're talking about members of Congress or your state legislature, is that uh, those those that information is all available on a public website. It, yes. it may not be the easiest or most intuitive to use all the time, but the tools are all there, um, and anybody can go there. And there are there are also resources as as you're uh, familiar with uh, the the extent to which our press corps. Is stretched thinner and thinner these days. But the Michigan Campaign Finance Network is a great nonprofit that works uh, in the public square to, to try to educate folks about what's going on there and, and provide them with tools to find this information. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us is that transparency, it's, it's a cliche, but it's true, is that transparency and sunlight are a wonderful disinfectant. And being able to just get on the internet yeah. um, and search through and see is a, is a massive step forward um, when it comes to seeing uh, who is funding uh, these folks and, and who is responsible for uh, the progress or lack thereof that Lansing is making on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh Pugh and uh, Jason Rowe, it was really great to have both of you and your expertise on this issue here to talk about uh, Proposal 1. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with Atlantic staff writer Caitlin Dickerson about what it means for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to be shipping migrants to democratically controlled states. Caitlin is someone who has covered immigration really in depth uh, for a very long time and up close. I'm really eager to hear what she says about what's going on, what the reaction could be from the federal government, and what this says about our politics. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>